0: And the plot thickens. Merry Christmas! I know it's a few weeks off, but it's not too early to start celebrating, is it? It's not too early to start looking at the biblical story of Jesus' birth. And in many ways, it really starts getting exciting with the arrival of the wise men. Now to our text. And it came to pass, in those days, that there went out a decree from the media czars that all Americans should go shopping. (laughs) And behold, all went forth, every one to his own mall. And Christians also went up, a Christian also went up from his subdivision to the mall of his hometown. His pregnant wife was great with stress because... It was Christmas Eve, and they were not ready. And so, it was that while they were there, they found many expensive presents. She brought forth her presents, and wrapped them in swatches of paper, and laid them in a crowded corner of the den, because there was no room for them under the tree. Behold, there came wise men to a party the next day. They came from the east part of the land following a freeway. And behold, when they saw the scene, they laid their three expensive gifts on the large pile of packages. Finally, when it was all over, they were warned about the traffic and departed to their own country another way. The Christian and his wife went to bed glorifying and praising each other for all the wonderful things they had gotten. Now, I ask you a question. Is this what the true meaning of Christmas is all about? No, not at all. But for the majority of Americans, I must admit, unfortunately, the answer to that question is yes. That's what Christmas is all about. The hustle, the bustle, the gifts, the presents, the stress, and we end up missing the most valuable gift of all our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, I want to tell you another story, a different story, a story of worshipers, a story of wise men. Now, let me just say this about that. First of all, we know that the Bible nowhere says there were three. Now, why do we think there were three? Well, the song, we three kings, and the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But just because they brought three gifts doesn't necessarily mean that there were three wise men. There may have been a whole caravan. There may have been armored guards with them. These were expensive gifts. And haven't you ever gone in on an expensive gift with somebody else so you could raise the value and make a more appropriate gift? We've all done that. So there's nothing in the Bible that says there were three, but what we do know about wise men, or magi, in those days, is that they were wealthy. They had prominent positions. They were powerful. They were politicians. They ran in the circles of the king makers. They were educated in science, in finance, in astronomy, and we know that they traveled a great distance from the east, to bring their gifts and worship Jesus. Our story is actually found in Matthew chapter 2, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 2, beginning with verse 1. We read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King Of the Jews. Now, in the Greek, that is in the present participle continual action. It means they kept on asking over and over and over again as they were on their journey. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That doesn't mean that the star was in the east, it meant they were in the east looking at the star. Modern day scholars tend to believe that they either came from Babylon or Persia. Today, that would be modern-day Iraq or Iran. That would be the general area. We know it was a great distance because by the time they reached Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph were no longer in a manger. They were in a house. And Jesus is no longer called a baby. He's called a child. It's a totally and completely different Greek word. And um, I know, I know this spoils the nativity scenes out in the front of some of your houses. Where you have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the shepherds and the angelic choir and even Frosty may be there. Along with the three wise men. But that wasn't the case, folks. Totally different occasion. Watch as we go through this text how many times the word child is mentioned. You'll never see the word manger, but you will see the word house. Very, very different. The greater question to me is how did the birth of a Jewish king even get in the radar of these wise men? Isn't that the greater question? Have you ever wondered how do they even know to come? Well, many scholars believe the story goes all the way back to Babylonian days when the children of Israel were taken captive because of their sin, and often they would take young children from prominent families that had some potential, and the king would bring them into his royal palace and instruct and train them in all the ways of the Babylonians. And you remember some boys by the name of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And this one standout named Daniel was blessed by God. God's hand was upon them because they were willing to do God's ways and follow His principles even under tremendous pressure to follow the ways of the Babylonians. And as a result of this, God gave special insight and wisdom to these four boys and especially to Daniel. One day the king has a dream and no one can interpret. And God... And, and, and all the wise men were to be killed. Did you know that? Including Daniel and his buddies. And the four of them got together, had a little prayer session, said, God, would you give us some wisdom and insight? And Daniel, that night, had the ability. God gave him the gift of interpretation. And he went before the king and said, don't kill everybody. I've got it. And it was this big statue, gold, silver, head of gold, breastplate of silver, Belly and thighs of bronze. The legs were of iron and the feet were iron mixed with clay. And he says these are really four kingdoms. Babylonian kingdom, the head, the breastplate, uh, the Medo-Persian kingdom that would arise later on. And then the the bronze belly and and thighs would be the um, Alexander the Great, the Grecian kingdom when he conquered the world. And then the fourth kingdom was who? The Roman kingdom. And the Bible says that in the days of those kings, who, that last kingdom, the Roman kings, a king of kings and a lord of lords would be born. A kingdom that would never end. And in the dream, a rock cut out of stone, but not by any man's hands. This is a God-built kingdom. Fell in it, hit the stat the feet of the statue of that great beast, and it fell, and it was crushed into powder, and the wind blew it all away. Kingdoms will come and go, but the king of kings and his kingdom shall last how long? Forever. Isn't that what Jesus said? My kingdom shall last forever. The gates of hell shall never prevail against my kingdom. Is Rome here today? No, the Roman kingdom's gone. Alexander the Great, and his kingdom's gone. Babylon's gone. Persia's gone but the church of the living god exists why because god is sent his son to be born of a virgin and become the king of kings and lord of lords and these wise men got in on that because daniel taught them you'd be looking for a star How do I know he said something like that? Because I believe Daniel was not only a prophet, but I believe he understood the scriptures. You've got to go way, way, way back to the book of Numbers to get this next one. Look at Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Listen to this prophecy. I see him, but not now. Who do you think he's talking about? I behold him, but not near. It's a long way off, right? A star will come out of Jacob. My wife stayed up very, very late last night making this poster for me with a star on it. Actually, she didn't finish it last night, and there's one more she didn't finish, but I got her up at 6 this morning to finish that star for all of you to enjoy. Preachers have children to have illustrations, and we have gifted wives to give us charts and manuals and beautiful stuff to look at. Every time you see that star, I want you to think of this verse. We just read about a star, right? We saw his star in the east, the Magi said. And then notice the verse goes on. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Who holds a scepter in his hand? A king. This is prophecy of Jesus. And these guys got in on the action because of Daniel. Now what do we learn about worship? from these wise men. Four things today. You might want to get your outlines out for this. You don't got to write it down, but if you want to write a side note, feel free. Worship is demanding. The first thing you need to understand is worship is demanding. If you have a star at the top of your Christmas tree, I want that to remind you of the great distance that those wise men traveled to come and worship Jesus, unlike maybe the 20 or 30 minute car ride that you took this morning. Uh, in the summer, you turn your air on. In the winter, you turn your heat on. But it's, it was demanding for those wise men. It wasn't like that. I love the little video. How was the journey? Some good, some bad, but mostly what? Long. These guys went further to go to church than you did, all right? It was demanding. It was grueling. And sometimes I fear that people think that since following Christ is so good, it must be easy. Because it looks so easy. And here we all are. We look so nice. You look, nice clothing. We've got uh, climate control in here. we got padded pews. we got wonderful lighting. And it looks really, really easy. But you know and I know there's nothing easy about worshiping or following Jesus. It's never been easy. It's never been in such a thing that you went... Oh man, that was a piece of cake. No, no, no. Worship is demanding. There, there have been. You know, I was just talking to some folks that uh, we, we handed them a bulletin. They came in about the same time I was coming in, and the person that was putting the bullet that put the bulletins together that day, uh, I said, "Well, you do know that the the angel fairies came last night and, and provided these bulletins for all of you, don't you?" He goes, "Well, what are you talking about?" I go, "No." This is the lady that provided you a bulletin today. She got up early. They came in early. They printed these off. And there's a young Timothy in here that's studying to be a preacher. I said, Timothy, one of these days, you're going to need angels like this woman in your church because ministry is not easy. You need people helping you. And and the communion that was prepared for all of us this morning. We got an angel here that comes every Saturday and puts that together. God uses people. It's demanding. There are people that got here early to get the sound going. People that got here early to spruce up the place, get the stage ready. Worship is always demanding. It's not easy. It takes willing people to do these things. And if you want to be a worshiper of God, you're going to have to say no to some things, even some important things, for a more important thing of worshiping Jesus. Maybe that important thing is sleep. What I know about all of you this morning, you may not have felt like getting up and you needed some sleep, but you got up. It was demanding, wasn't it? But you got up. We had some people here yesterday from early in the morning until about 8 o'clock last night. You may not know this, but we had an event here that our gymnasium was packed. I mean, I don't know, six, 700 people throughout the day, and they were out there working that thing. And, and meeting and greeting and touching the lives of those folks in the name of Jesus. And they were here this morning. Sometimes you're going to have to say no to sleep. Worship is demanding. If you want to be a worshiper, you must rearrange your schedules in such a way that you make commitments that many of your friends and family members aren't willing to make. As a matter of fact, they're not only not willing to make them, they think you're really strange because you do. You made a commitment to be here this morning. God bless you for that. Who knows all the things that the wise men had to put aside for this journey? But we know that the hard thing is usually the best thing. And when they got to Jerusalem, they went to the palace expecting to find the king. Instead, they found King Herod, and the Bible says that he was disturbed. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, that's the news about Jesus... The Messiah, the King, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. Now I can understand why Herod was disturbed, but why is all Jerusalem disturbed as well? Well, all of Jerusalem knew what a paranoid, power hungry, motivated sociopath Herod was. Did you know that Herod had killed one of his wives and three of his boys for fear that they wanted to take over his kingdom? That's the kind of guy this nutcase was. In Rome, you know, he worked for Rome. Although Herod was a Jew, kind of a little king, he worked for the big king in Rome. And the standing joke in Rome was, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his kids. Because you were more likely to be killed if you were one of his children. That's how paranoid this monster was. He died in Jericho, they say, Uh, he died of a kidney type of disease, which eventually ended up leading to other problems and then gangrene, and he was in excruciating pain as he was dying. So much so that he took a knife, and depending on who you read, some say he attempted suicide on his life to end the pain. Others say he actually did commit suicide. But he was so afraid that no one would mourn his death, that he ordered that men be prominent men be brought from Jerusalem to Jericho upon his death and have them killed so there will be mourners when I die. Now, that is one nut job. There are crazy people in this world, and when they get power, it's a very dangerous thing. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. Now that's a direct quote from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, who lives centuries before this event But you can see how biblical prophecy comes together and is fulfilled perfectly in Christ. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Right. That's what he wanted to do, huh? After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star uh, they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, notice it's a house, they saw the child, not a baby, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Worship is demanding. Second thing I want you to see is worship is humbling. If you want to be a worshiper you must be humble. It's not often that you have wise, rich, influ- influential men who are humble as these men were. I know they were humble because the Magi number 1 were men and yet they stopped and what? Asked for directions. Now, I know you women don't understand this about us guys. We hate asking for directions. Uh, We'll drive a hundred miles the wrong way rather than ask for directions. We'll get it figured out, but in humility, there's been a few times, right? But we don't like driving into a service station, rolling down our windows and asking the servant attendant, saying stuff like... "Uh, I am so stupid. I am lost. I do not know where I am, and I do not know where I'm going. Can you, pl- you look so smart. Can you please get me from point A to point B? We just don't like to do that, women. Don't you understand? But these guys are actually humble. They ask for directions multiple times, the text says in the Greek. You know, instead of Daniel Boone, the, the great frontiersman, He was asked one time, have you ever been lost out there on the wild frontier? And he said, no, no, I've never been lost. Now, one day I went into the woods and I wandered for about four days until I (laughs) found my way out. But no, I've never been lost. (laughs) Folks, you know what that's called? P-R-I-D-E, pride. That's exactly what. It is. These guys were humble. They asked for directions. Another reason I know they were humble is these wise men were wealthy, and yet they were spiritually sensitive. When you are wealthy and you're spiritually sensitive and humble like these guys, that is a unique, rare quality. Because Matthew chapter 19.24 says, "...it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." And when the disciples heard that, they said, oh, Lord, who can be saved? I'm glad they asked that question, because I love Jesus' response. Well, with man, this is impossible, right? We can't save ourselves, but with God, what's the next word? All things are possible. It is possible to be rich and spiritually tuned in, right? Amen? Amen. It is possible to be rich and spiritually with it. How do I know that? Jesus had a rich friend named Lazarus. Remember the one he raised from the dead? Whenever he was in Bethany, guess what? Jesus went to his house and all of his needs and his entourage, the 12 that were with him and whoever else was with him, slept at his home, ate his food, were taken care of and ministry from this man. A spiritually with it rich man. God bless him. Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, that guy that came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3, well, he didn't come to Jesus that night, but later on we'll read about him. He no longer associated himself with the Sanhedrin. He was a rich man. The Bible says, the ruler of the Jews. A careful reading that's not a ruler of the Jews. It says, the ruler, prominent, wealthy, smart, with it, became a follower of Jesus. And then when Jesus died, didn't he have a place to not only lay his head, he said, during life, but then when he died, he didn't even have a tomb of his own. And there was a certain rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who provided the tomb. I'd just soon be a rich Christian as a poor Christian, how about you? But the key is, I want to be spiritually with it. I want to be spiritually in tune with God's ways. I want to be humble. These guys were rich and yet they were humble. A third reason I know that they were rich and humble is because the wise men were mature adults and yet they worshipped a little child. Matthew 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. They don't worship Mary. Who do they worship? They worship the child. The wise men had no problem bowing down before a little child whose parents were peasants. They may have thought they were going to go to a palace, but they go to a house, and it was a rental. Joseph and Mary didn't even own it. Now contrast that with paranoid Herod. He's so narcissistic. That he had all the baby boys in that whole area, two years and younger, put to death. May I see the hand of any parent in here or grandparent that currently has a child two years or younger? Can I see your hand right now? Mine's going up. You do? You do? Okay. I see that. I do too. A six-month-old grandchild. Can you imagine the grief at that first Christmas that was caused by this paranoid maniac nut job, because of his pride? Let that sink in. I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment, or even common sense. One of the reason we call them wise men is because they were humble enough to worship Jesus. Worship's demanding. Worship is humble. And worship is also expensive. You know, we remember the gifts, don't we? In this story... There's a lot of little details we may not remember about the story, but we remember the gifts. Let's read about them right now. Matthew 2, verse 11, then they opened their treasures, plural, and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh, very expensive, costly items. Gold even today is used to barter. Gold today is even used as as a monetary standard, if you will. Do you think God in heaven wanted his son well cared for while he was here on earth? Joseph and Mary didn't have anything. And what's his son need? He's gonna need diapers, he's gonna need formula, he's gonna need a stroller, baby crib, he's gonna need, you know, monitors, you know, that you put in the bedroom, mom's bedroom, dad's bedroom, the baby's bedroom, all that. He's gonna need all that stuff, right? And God made sure that his son was taken care of. Gold. Very precious. It is a gift fit for who? A king. If you were a wise man and you were coming to see a king, you never came empty-handed and you always brought with you gold. If you were a wise man coming to see a king, you would bring with you, and this is amazing to me, This king you would bring incense to. Why incense? Some versions say frankincense. It was a sap taken from a tree and it was ground into a powder and it would be used, in the Old Testament anyway, at the altar of incense that was sat before the veil. And it was to continuously go up before God as the prayers of the priest. And who was to keep that incense On that fire, continuously going up. The priest. Jesus is what? Our high priest. I think it's very, very insightful. I don't know how much they knew on their own. I don't know how much Daniel told them. I don't know how much the Holy Spirit told them. But this speaks of the role of the priest that Jesus continues to play. When we pray, how do we end our prayers? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He's still functioning as our high priest. None of your prayers make it to the Father until they're Jesus-filtered first. And then they received a gift of myrrh. I think myrrh speaks of his death, gold of his kingship, incense of his priestly role. Myrrh of his death. Myrrh also was a sap, came from a tree. It would be dried mixed with alos into a liquid substance. And when a king would die, they would wrap the king with layers upon layers of cloth. They would sort of mummify, if you will. They wouldn't do the face, just the body. And between each layer of the fold, they would pour this mixture of myrrh and alos. About a hundred pounds, the New Testament says. You know what you, when a king would die, they would use that much to bury the king. Jesus, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Through the wisdom or insight of these wise men or through the Holy Spirit, they brought the most appropriate gifts of all. Gold, kingship incense priesthood myrrh his death now when they thought about worshiping God what was the first thing they thought about what was the first thing that came to their mind we're not going empty handed they thought about gifts now if I asked you this morning before you heard this sermon right hey what do you think of when you think of worship you know what most people tell me oh well singing Sing. Isn't that the first thing that comes to your mind? Worship is singing. It's become sort of analogous with that. Or maybe praying, some of you would say. Others might say, uh, well, taking communion. Others might say, well, listening to a sermon, I guess that's part of it. And then if they really, really think hard, oh yeah, giving, offering, got to do that. That's all part of worship. But it's usually like way down on the list. What was the first thing that these guys thought of when they, when they thought of worshiping this king? I got to bring something i got to give something. You know, the first time worship, the word worship is mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned of Father Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, where he offered God the most precious gift that he could offer God, his son Isaac. And you know what the text says? It says, he said to his servants, we're going to go worship and then we're going to come back to you. Worship, the first time used in the Bible, was associated with a gift. The most precious thing you could give is your own son. And how insightful Abraham had to be and how much faith he had to have to realize he's going to go offer a son. In his mind, his son was already dead. And somehow God would bring that boy back to life and they would return. But what a concept of worship And here in the New Testament, the first time we read about worship, it's in association with these wise men giving gifts to Jesus. Worship and giving always go together. Not that God needs your money. We need His blessing. Amen? And that's how that, that works. Give and you shall get. Sow and you shall reap. Giving shows your heart. Have you not read? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then look at 1 Chronicles 16, 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Well, how do I do that? Bring an offering. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Worship is demanding, worship is humbling, worship is expensive. And then finally, we'll recap with, or we'll end with this. Worship is focused on Jesus. That's where our focus needs to be this Christmas season, on Jesus. Verse 11: On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. The focus was on him. They didn't come to see Mary. They didn't come to see Joseph. They didn't come to see the shepherds. They didn't come to see the angelic choir. They didn't come to see the house. They came to see who? Jesus. And that's what Christmas is all about. Amen? And that's what faith is all about. And that's what Crosspoint is all about. Now, let's add a little application here and I'll let you go. To make this Christmas about worshiping Jesus, I want you to do four things. As we enter into this Christmas season, number one, make an effort. What does that mean? That means those wise men made an effort. If we're going to be wise men, we're going to have to make an effort. Make it a point to come to worship every week. Every week. I mean, there's going to be times when you're sick. We don't want you here sick. God obviously knows you're sick. Doesn't want you getting your preacher sick. So you stay home on times like that, right? There's going to be, you know, there's going to be times when it's appropriate to stay home. But for the most part, many of you are staying home to worship at Saint Mattress or Bedside Baptist. No more of that. We're going to make it a point in 2016 to not miss a service. Because our focus is Jesus. Number two, humble yourself. When I become a wise person, uh, this is not my quote. I took this quote from somebody else. I can't remember who, so I'm going to claim it. When I become a wise person, the motto of my life will be, it's not about me. Wow, isn't that good? And how wonderful 2016 would be if we'd just put this into practice. We'd all be full of joy. J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. And then number three, bring a gift. Worshippers, never come before the Lord empty-handed. If you're not a tither, I would encourage you to become a tither. When people tell me, that they find worship unfulfilling. It's because they don't have any investment in it. They're not invested in it. They come late. They leave early. They give little. True worshipers get the most out of worship because they give the most. They're invested in it. Uh, We were at a meeting Wednesday night with some of our leaders, and David gave a, a report on our finances. And actually, we're doing pretty good. Uh, we're, we're about five thousand dollars short of where we should be at this time of year. Just five thousand short for a church of our size and all the ministry that we do. That's really pretty good. And I know that not all your giving is done here. There's you, you give to all other things as well. But wouldn't it be great if God placed on your heart, if you've not been a tither? You know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to try to be what God has told me to be. I'm not coming before the Lord. With empty hands. I want to make up that deficit. If we all did that to start the new year in the, is it the black? Is it, That's the one we want, right? Not the red. We want to be in the black. So that next year we're not 10,000 in debt this time. And the year after that, 15. I want to go the right direction, but God's got to lay that on your heart. True worshipers bring gifts. And then number four, focus on Jesus. And we'll conclude with this. First John 5.20, Christ, God's Son, has come to help us understand and find the true God. That's what Christmas is. Christ being born of a virgin to show us the way to the Christmas God. And if God wanted to communicate to cows, he would become a cow. If he wanted to communicate to ants, he would become an ant. If he wanted to communicate to dogs, he would become a dog. But he wanted to communicate to human beings his love for us, and so became a human being, a little baby. Wrapped in a, in a manger. No one's afraid of a baby. Isn't that beautiful that God would come? So humble. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. But I love this verse even better. Jesus came to seek and to save what? The lost. While you were seeking Him, He was seeking you. And you know what He says to you? this Christmas God. He says, you matter to me. Your problems matter to me. Your pain matters to me. Your potential matters to me. And He offers forgiveness of sins. All your past sins can be forgiven. He offers peace of mind this Christmas season. And He offers you an eternal future with Him in glory. And all, all, all these things are wrapped up in Christ. Let this be the year you unwrap the gift. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in our audience this morning, there may be some here today who, like the wise men, have come seeking the Savior. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Him, but you want to get to know Him today, it's really, really simple. God didn't make this complicated. You can just talk to Him. You don't got to say it out loud, but in your mind, if you just say, Dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for seeking me, even when I wasn't seeking you. Please forgive me of all my sins. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I accept your peace of mind. I accept eternal life. I am now a believer. And the first thing believers do is they put the Lord on a baptism. And so, Lord, I stand ready to do that. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.